Well, good morning. Oh, my, you, the nine o'clock, they hardly slept in, and now you guys slept in. Let's try it again. Good morning. All right. There, you said maybe one more cup of coffee more than everybody else. Well, it's a really an honor to be here, and um, <clears throat> I just thank Steve for the invitation and, and the partnership that we have with your church as we see the gospel be advanced, you know, uh, uh, throughout our, throughout our region, and we really see ourselves as uh, regional missionaries. Uh, back in the old day, they used to call them state missionaries, and and uh, and so you know, in the last uh, in the last fifteen years, we've helped start over one hundred and fifty churches, and so it's a lot of uh, a lot of effort and a lot of uh, prayer. But here's the thing that always uh, just blows my mind when I get to come and preach in a in a new church. That, that was in a community that we prayed for and prayed for God to raise up a leader and prayed for God to, to use them to reach into the community. Um, you know, here's the thing, is that every new church is an answer to prayer. Every new church is an answer to prayer. I mean, you don't know how, what it takes to start a new church and the energy that it takes to start something from scratch um, to get that, get that first 40 people together and then grow it beyond there to get your first 100 and 200 and then to get your own building. I mean, it takes a lot of, a lot of hard work. And, uh, and in every church, every church is birthed out of prayer. And it's an evidence that God answers prayer. God answers the cries of his people. And, uh, and we prayed for this community, and God raised up Steve, and, and we partnered with them, and we're, and we're partnering with your elders and, and, uh, and your campaign team to help you guys raise the money to, to get in your own facility, and so we're just, we're just excited about it. And now, and now, partnering with you to plant more churches, to plant more churches. This Sunday alone, just through Converge Mid America, we're starting two churches, uh, Hispanic Church up in, um, up in uh, Round Lake area of Illinois, and, uh, and then a brand new church in Belvedere, Illinois, that's being launched uh, today. So, uh, so God, God works, his, uh, his, his mission continues, and, uh, and we're going to spend some time talking about what it means to live missionally, to live out the mission of God um, as we follow Jesus. All right? So let's pray, and then we'll, we'll dig in, okay? Father in heaven, we come before you. We thank you for this church that is such an evidence of your prayer. Every person in the seat, in every seat, every child being cared for, being taught, every volunteer that's serving you, the elder team, the staff team, they are all answers to prayer. And so, Lord, you have birthed the church here. You have founded a church here and uh, as, 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 a, as an answer to the cries of your people. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And Lord, now as we come as your children to your word, we know that you want to speak to us. And Lord, I pray today that those who need a word of encouragement will receive it. Their hearts would be lifted up, that they would have fresh wind blown into their spirits to encourage them no matter what they're facing this week. And for, Lord, those who need a word of correction, those who need to deal with a behavioral issue or an attitude issue or a sin issue, Lord, I pray that your Spirit will speak and provide that corrective word. And, Lord, those who need a word of challenge, who need a... Who need a heavenly kind of kick in the pants, Father. I pray that, that they'll receive that word from you, not me, but you. That you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, will, will, will stir their hearts and cause them to want to be more engaged in what you're doing in this world as you reach out to people who are hurting and lost and struggling. And so, Father, we come as your children wanting to receive your word of truth in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been married uh, 33 years, and my, my wife, lovely wife, Mary, who is the better, better half of the picture on that card, and uh, she makes the card just sparkle, okay? All right? There. Uh, that won a few points there for the... <laughs> 
But, uh, and, and, you know, we've been married 33 years. And uh, one thing that, that I know in every relationship, <clears throat> um, we all look at the E on the, on the gas gauge differently. You know, because some, some of us are more, we're more cautious and some of us are risk takers. So in every relationship, there's, there's people who are risk takers and there are people who are more cautious. And, uh, and so for me, I'm the more, I'm the risk taker. My wife's more cautious. And so, so when the, when the, when the E, when the, when the, when the gauge, the arrow's pointing, you're coming up against the E, my wife goes, Hey, you need some gas. And I'm going, no, 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 we got enough. See, E stands for enough in my, my vocabulary. You know, it's empty in hers, but for me, it stands for enough. We got enough. We got enough, dear. We'll be fine, you know. And, uh, and so, so the, but, you know, here, here's one of the things. Risk takers are always kind of pushing the E in their life. They're pushing the E in their life. And sometimes they run on fumes. And, and uh, a good friend of mine was uh, driving his car, and he was one of those guys who loved pushing the E. And, 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 uh, and so he ran out of gas. And luckily, it was, he ran out of gas, and he was on a hill, and he had enough momentum to roll in to the gas station, okay? Now, when he told that story, I remembered a story of mine where I was pushing the E on the tollway up in Chicago, and, uh, and I was getting close, close to the, the sacred oasis, right? <laughs> and tried to get there, and then all of a sudden I ran out of gas, but I was going up the hill and uh, ended up, you know, messing around for a couple hours trying to get gas in my car, but, you know, the fact is, is that God wants us <clears throat> to serve him. God wants us to be filled. God wants us to be full. God wants us to serve him out of the fullness of our hearts. And uh, today we're going to talk about these, uh, we're going to talk about six relationships that we need to nurture and we need to take care of as we, as we move forward in God's mission. But, you know, when I was thinking about this whole, whole thing of, about how far can you go on a, gas, a gallon of gas, I kind of typed that question in there, and uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be amazed. That I think we have in the slide here, in the next slide. So how far can you go on a gallon of gas? Would you believe 3,169 miles? Do you believe it? You're all shaking your head. What do you mean you don't believe it? It's on the Internet. I Googled it. That's what the Internet said. Well, I have proof. Let me show you the car. Here's the car. <laughs> you know, there's this Society of Automotive Engineers Super Mileage Competition. Has anybody ever heard of that? I never heard about it until I Googled it, right? And they, uh, all these universities around the country and uh, in the North America come together, and they come together in actually Evansville, Indiana, and they have this competition where they, uh, where they got these cars going around and around and around the track, and then um, they come up with that. So that car went 3000 169 miles on one gallon of gas. Not a lot of comfort, but a great economy, right? And uh, so, I, so I, then I went the next year. The next year, the same team came, and they won again, but they only went 1,500 miles. And I'm like, what? That's a big difference. What happened? And I never got the answer about what happened, but, but uh, the fact is that God wants us to go long haul, God wants us to what be fully engaged in his missional activities what for the for our entire lives not for just a short period of time but for our entire lives and the way we do that is by nurturing I call these six relationships in your program there was a there was a little handout uh, and this is what we call a spiritual conversation tool it's a spiritual conversation tool, and basically it's a tool that kind of helps people find out where they're on their spiritual journey, and then helps them develop a plan how to move forward towards Christ or in, in following Christ or towards his mission. And so there's two things. You know, one, one, we want to see searchers who are going to move towards Christ, but then we want to see followers be more fully engaged in God's mission. And so basically today, what I'm going to be talking about is these six, six core aspects of what it means to live on mission with Jesus. And we're going to talk about those, and we're going to look at those, uh, look at those today. And, uh, and this afternoon, we're going to spend some time going through this, teaching you how to use this, teaching you how to get into what I call winsome and focused spiritual conversations uh, with your friends and family. So let's look at these, let's look at these six characteristics, these six Six uh, relationships that we need to nurture. The first one is our relationship with God. Our relationship with God. 
And the fact is that followers of Christ crave intimacy with God. They crave intimacy with God. They want to know and experience Him more and more in their lives. Jesus said this, He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What does that mean, you can do nothing? I think what he's talking about there is that you can do nothing of lasting spiritual significance in and of yourselves. In and of yourselves. You know, I live in the Chicagoland area and we're famous for the Blues Brothers. And uh, for years I operated with the, on, on what I would call Blues Brothers theology. And, you know, the Blues Brothers, they're noted for being on a mission for God. Being on a mission for God. And the fact is, is that, is that that's blues for theology. And, 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 I, and I, you know, I caught myself saying this over years, that I'm doing this for God. I'm starting these churches for God. I'm, I'm starting this church for God. I'm building this for God. I'm, whatever, whatever it is. And then one day I caught myself and go, man, that's pretty egocentric to think that I can do anything for God. And the fact is that God, that we cannot do anything for God, and that the, the, the fact is, is that Jesus, we, we, do, we do mission with God, not for God. We do mission with God. And for See, God, God rescues us. God redeems us. God restores us. What? So that we can be on mission with him. See, we do mission with Jesus. In absence of Jesus, we could do a lot of activity, but that that activity will not have a lasting spiritual impact. I love uh, Revelation three twenty, and it was so powerful for me when I became a follower of Christ. That uh, because I, I I looked at you know God was distant and dark and mysterious and. And, and something, something uh, ominous, and, and I you know, kind of thought that God was out to get me. You know, he was ready to, you know, you know when I got out of line, he was going to knock me in the head, and, and just all these things. And then when I read this, when I read this scripture, you know, it just opened my heart. And, and when, I, when I understood that God of the universe wants to have an intimate relationship with me, the God who created all things, the God who died on the cross for my sins wants to have an intimate relationship with me. Jesus said, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. What a, it's a privilege that we can have a relationship, an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. A friend of mine talks about this, this little concept he calls the wheel of relationships. Every relationship is built on two things, talking and listening, talking and listening, talking and listening. My wife and I have been married 33 years. We've done a lot of talking, and I'm learning better and more and more how to listen better, right? <laughs> We've done a lot of talking and listening, talking and listening, and, uh, and, and it's created intimacy. And so as you do that repeatedly, it creates intimacy, and that's why when you think of college friends and, and, uh, and, and people, you, you, maybe people in the military you serve with, people where you, you did so, had some intense time with, and you spent a lot of time hanging out with them and talking and listening. And it's amazing how you can be absent from that relationship 20 years, and then you can just pick it up like that 20 years later. I had a friend of mine who, who uh, when I came to faith in Christ, I... Um, I went to him. He was in, our, in my worked in the same department that I worked in, and I and I went over to him and, I said, and asked him if he was a pastor or something and and uh, uh, minister. and And he said no, but he was a, had been a missionary for a number of years. And I just said, hey, I, I you know what? I just came to Christ, and I need I need someone to teach me the Bible. And for two and a half years, we had lunch together, studying the Bible, praying for each other, you know, mentoring me inspiring me, guiding me, instilling in me, you know, great, great things. And, uh, and we, we haven't seen each other in a long time, but you know what? I could call him tomorrow and it seemed, it'll feel just like yesterday because we spent a lot of time talking and listening. So apply that, apply that principle, the wheel, the wheel of relationships to your relationship with God. Talking is prayer. 
Listening is hearing the Word of God, being taught or reading the Word of God, or just sitting quietly before God and listening to is the Spirit speaking to your heart. Talking and listening. Talking and listening. That's how we create intimacy with God. Finding those times, finding those moments, finding those, those, that, that time where you have, your, you have your meal with God on a daily basis. Just like you have breakfast, you'd have a meal with God on a daily basis. And then that's where he's going to speak into your life. That's where he's going to encourage you. That's where he's going to guide you and direct you in what he wants to do in your life and what he wants to do through you in your community. I love what Oswald Chambers says this. The secret of the missionary is, is this. I am his, and he is carrying out his enterprises through me. I am his, and God is carrying out his great enterprises, his purposes through me. So number one, we've got to nurture our relationship with God, and we do that by growing in spiritual disciplines. We grow growing in prayer and fasting and and solitude and you know there's many many spiritual disciplines in, in, that we can continue to grow and nurture our relationship with God through. And then secondly, is those who are far from God, the relationship with those who are far to God, far from God, your coworkers, your friends, your family, your neighbors those who live in your community. And we need to nurture our relationship with those. We need to be able to effectively, effectively and naturally share Christ, share the wonders of what Christ has done in our own hearts and own lives with people in meaningful and effective ways. You know, Jesus, Jesus told his disciples to therefore go and make disciples. You know, we are about, that's the mission of Christ. We are to be about making disciples. We are to think missionally. And I, I love a lot of people think go is like, well, dramatic go. It's like we got to go somewhere far away. No, the go that Jesus was talking about here was as you journey through life. As you move through this path of life, as you move through your workplace, as you move through your school, as you move you know, through your neighborhood, as you interact with your family members, we are to what? Be on mission. We are to think about making disciples. I love what Paul, in his letter to Philemon, this tender, personal letter, he says, I pray that you be, may be active in sharing your faith so that you may have full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. You know, every time we share our faith, we're reminded, we're reminded that we're forgiven. Not by our good works, but by the grace of God. We're reminded that we are, we are we have, the, we have the hope of eternal life. We're reminded of, of, of that, that the fact is that in Christ, we can experience every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. They are what? They're in, that, that, that through Christ, we possess those. We can experience those. And so as you share your faith, what? Your faith gets deepened. It gets deepened, deeper in your heart and your soul. One of the things that this afternoon we're going to talk about being a winsome witness, in a sense. A winsome witness. And, uh, and, and too many times people, people think they have to defend the gospel. I've got to defend the gospel. And, and, and what happens is your winsomeness turns into more of a defensive tone. Instead of talking about the, the hope of Christ, we kind of we come across with an angry spirit because we're defensive. See, a lot of evangelism training is basically about equipping people to defend a faith where that was not Jesus' style at all. That was not Jesus' style. And this afternoon, we're going to go through Luke chapter 10 to look at how Jesus equipped people to what? Sharing the joy of Christ. Sharing what God has done in them with their friends, neighbors, and family members. And so 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, we're going to go in more depth of that this afternoon, but, but the, the bottom line is here's, here's the tool of how to be a winsome, winsome witness in this passage here. We all, know, we all know the passage that says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We've heard that. We all have to have that answer. We have to have, be able to explain our faith to people. 
You know, people who are on mission with God can explain their faith, can share a, a compelling um, uh, testimony of what Christ has done in their hearts and lives. But what happens is, is that if we, if we don't do it, in a, if, if we're not careful, we can come across defensive and harsh and critical. And so we want to be able to share our faith in a way that what? That attracts people to the wonders of Christ, to the truth of the gospel. And there's two key things in this, in this verse, and, and we're, a lot of people miss it because they're always focused on giving that answer, being prepared to give that answer, right? But if you, you know, and, and so two, two ways of protecting us, us from being angry or harsh uh, and for being more winsome is number one, the first phrase right before that sentence, it says, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. You know, when Christ is reigning as Lord of our lives, people see Jesus in us. They experience Jesus through us. We become little Christs to a world that so desperately needs it. And so we need to allow Christ to flow through us when we give those answers for the hope that we have. And then the second thing is just building rapport with people, establishing rapport. And we do that with gentleness, respect, and keeping a clear conscience. Gentleness is just power under control. It's basically, you know, the gospel is one of the most powerful things in the universe, and we need to handle it with care and not with recklessness. And today, we're gonna, we're, this afternoon, we're going to talk about how to handle the gospel with care and not be reckless with the gospel. Because when we're reckless with the gospel, what happens? We hurt people. We hurt people. And none of us wants to hurt people. And so we need to be gentle. We need to be respectful. The fact is that every human being has free choice. Every human being can receive or reject what Christ is offering them. And we need to respect that and not take it personal, not take it as a personal affront that they did not receive Christ when you made a presentation. And then lastly, we need to just keep our own house in order when it says keeping a clear conscience. And that goes back to lordship, right? Keeping a clear conscience, making sure our house is in order, making sure our relationship with God is right, making sure the gospel is at operation in our souls, keeping us close to God. So today we're going to spend some time, and I would encourage if you have some time to hang out with us, we're going to have, a, it's going to be really dialogue and, and, uh, um, and there's some practical things we're going to be doing to help you, help you think about how I can share Christ naturally in my relationships. So, and then and the other thing is just how to see God at work in my relationships and how to join Him in it. Because here's, I believe this, God is saving people. God is saving people. And here's the deal, we can either be a part of that or not a part of it. I used to say to our church all the time, I believe that, you know, we're in a town of about 15,000 people. And I just said, I just believe, and maybe I'm, I'm under-believing this, but I, I just believe 2% of the population are going to come to faith in Christ this year. I believe that God is drawing people to himself, and I just believe 2% are going to, you know, 2% of the population, and I would tell our church every year, I'd say, why would God trust us with 100 new souls? Why would God allow us to be engaged and in, 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 involved in that? So, if you want to learn how to become a winsome witness today, uh, join us this afternoon. And then thirdly, mentoring relationships with other Christians. Yeah, I believe that those who are living missionally know how to mentor others spiritually. And uh, Jesus, Jesus in, in, in Matthew 28 uh, the Great Commission passage, he basically said, Go, you were, were, to, were to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes to the second part is, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. See, see, teaching, you know, when we talk about teaching, you know, we're talking about what? Just exchanging knowledge, right? But this isn't teaching. This is teaching to obey. This is training people. And the way you train people is what? Life-on-life life investment. 
life-on-life -life investment. You know, I think a lot of times people, people, people shy away from investing in people because, you know what, when you start pouring yourself into other people, it can get messy. Discipleship, mentoring people spiritually can get really messy. And uh, this reminds me of, uh, you know, our family, um, we've, uh, we had a family dog. His name was Buster. For, uh, he lived with us for 14 years, grew up with all our kids. And, um, and so then Buster, you know, I actually, Buster kind of grew on me. I didn't like Buster the first year, okay? I didn't like him. <laughs> I mean, within a month of Buster coming into our home, this beautiful uh, yellow lab, uh, came into our home, purebred yellow lab, came into our home. He actually ate my glasses. <laughs> and they were brand new glasses, and I had to go back to the eye doctor and say, the dog ate my glasses. <laughs> well, you know, Buster and I, uh, um, we grew to appreciate each other <laughs> over time. And, uh, and then Buster, you know, died of cancer and uh, and then we had no dog for, you know, probably a year. And then I asked my wife, I said, so are we going to get a dog? Because I travel a lot. I'm on the road. And, uh, um, and so my, my, our kids are all grown. They're all on their own now. We're all done with last year was our last college tuition payment. Twelve years. Woo! Some of you can really feel that. Some other, other yous are just expecting it. <laughs> and, uh, and so th those, years are, those years are by us. So the college fund is depleted. Now it's actually changed names to the wedding fund. So that's what my wife told me. <laughs> but, you know, this, this teaching to obey. So my, my wife, get, I asked her, I said, so are we going to get in our dog? And she says, yes, we're going to get in our dog. And... Uh, uh, I said, we're going to get a lab. We're going to get in our lab. And she goes, no, no, I want to get a lap dog. A lap dog. So we have this little Yorkie terrier, terror, <laughs> uh, that's probably the most nervous, skittish dog on the planet. And uh, doesn't like me. <laughs> And uh, so we have Maggie the monster, Maggie the marvelous, wonderful puppy. And uh, Maggie, uh, so my wife said, well, you know, what I'd like to do is I want to train the dog differently than, than Buster. I always wish we would have trained Buster how to ring, the, ring a bell to tell us when he needed to go out, you know, and make our life a lot easier, you know, that we need, you know, that this dog needs to go out, do its business, just the dog rings the bell. So we have bells on the back door and bells on the front door and, and so my wife, you know, wanted to do it. Now, I just want to tell you, remember, training is messy. Okay? Training is messy. And, uh, and so I, we've experienced that. And, uh, and so, uh, so, you know, I would take the dog out, you know, um, and the bell would ring, and I would take that dog out. Now, you got to understand, taking a little lap dog out is a little different than taking a big old lab. Okay? Because when you take a lap dog out... You've got to, you know, you got to make sure her bows are right in her hair. Got to make sure she's got her sweater on. And if it's really cold, you got to put her little booties on. Okay? So I would do that, take the dog out, and then the dog would look at me and go, why are we out here? I'm like, you rang the bell. Go, go do your stuff. Well, then there were times when I'd walk down, come out of my office and walk down and all of a sudden step in something. And I knew it was Maggie. <laughs> and uh, Maggie, you got to ring the bell. I mean, training people, training is messy, right? And you know what? Investing your life in other people is messy, but God calls us to it because we have a relational mission that we're a part of. And that's we need to do is we need to invest in people. Paul goes on and says in Second Timothy two two and, and and the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust reliable men who will also be qualified to to teach others. You know the mission of Christ is a generational way, and we always need to be training the next generation in the things of God. You know the American church is in a crisis now and. Dowd Willard says this. He says, he says that non-discipleship is the elephant of the church. We're having people come, 
come to the church and, and they're experiencing Christianity and they're consuming Christianity, but they're not consuming Christ. And we need to, we need to work on what getting into those relationships. And so here's what I would say to those of you who have grown up in your faith or are maturing in your faith or are living on mission with Jesus, find someone to invest in. Pray that God reveals someone to them. If you're not investing in somebody, find somebody. I remember one day I was, I was praying because I always invested in about two people every year, just personal time, just, you know, I basically gave Monday morning breakfasts to, to my discipling relationships and, uh, and Wednesday mornings uh, to that. And, uh, and I'd, I would just pray that God would reveal who was I supposed to pour my life into. And one Sunday I, I, you know, I prayed that in the morning and, uh, and I was standing out in the foyer at our church and this gentleman came running up to me after church and he stuck his business card in my pocket and said, I need someone to teach me the Bible. And then he bolted, he left. <laughs> and uh, I mean, that was the quickest way God answered that prayer that day. And, and so I called him and uh, we had lunch together and I heard his story and, and saw him come to faith in Christ and so I'm getting engaged in the church and getting engaged in God's mission. And we started Bible studies together. And I just saw him a couple of weeks ago and he's still walking with Jesus. And you know what? Him and I just talk about those times together. Maybe pray, ask God to reveal who you're to invest your life in. And you know what? If you want someone to invest in you, you want to be mentored, go after him. Find him. Just like I went to my friend. I said, you know what? I just came to Christ. I need someone to teach me the Bible latch on to somebody and say, pour your life into my life because I like what God, I like what I see in your life and I want more of it. The fourth relationship we need to look at is our relationship with money. Our relationship with money. See, people who live on mission understand that the resources that God's entrusted them are not just, they're not theirs, that God owns it all. And that we are to what we are to we are to generously give the, give give of our resources to fuel the mission of God, to fuel the work of God throughout the world. Jesus said, "It's more blessed to give than to receive." And you know what? Here's the thing: you'll never understand that blessedness until you give. You'll never understand that blessedness until you give until you give something away. In um, 2 Corinthians 8, Paul uses an, an example of the Macedonian churches to really, to fuel, to fuel the, uh, the Corinthian church, to really just fuel their generosity. And he uses this example, and, and uh, <clears throat> let me, I'm going to read it, read it, and then we'll land on verse 7. I'm, I just want to read it aloud. It says, Now, brothers, I want you to know that the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then to us, in keeping with God's will. So I urged Titus, since he had earlier made, at a begin, early made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. And then he says this, he concludes this, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. See that you also excel in the grace of giving. You know, Trailhead has been an example to a lot of our new churches. Uh, a couple of years ago, we came, came alongside you and we helped your, helped your elders think through a process of how to raise significant money to what? For a future home. And I'm so proud of that team, so proud of the elders and the work they did. And, and I just had the privilege of coming alongside, coaching them, encouraging them, and, and still coaching and encouraging them through the process as we work together to see this, this goal achieved and to see this, 
this, this project finished and see the money raised. But you have been an example. You know, Steve has shared testimonies of what God's done here with other churches, and now other churches are getting on board, and they're saying, we want to do the same thing. We want to see the same thing happen. We want to see, we want to see generosity just bubble over in our church, just as it bubbled over in, in your church. And, uh, and, uh, and to think that a church, your, a church this young, and with the average age of it being young, that to raise the money you raised is, uh, is just it's a powerful thing. And I want you to know that your, your testimony is inspiring others on. And I just worked with a church that, that was inspired by your, your story. And, and, uh, and, 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 you know, it's a larger church, about 600 people, and they, they raised over $1.5 million to, so that they can move on and get into their permanent facility. Because they've been meeting in a high school for 16, 14 years. <laughs> and so I just, wanted, I just wanted to say, way to go, Trailhead. Way to go for, 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 for making those commitments and, uh, and continue making those commitments to see that dream become a real reality, to see, your, to see the, your future home, your home, which will be a tool, which will be a base of operation for what the gospel advancing out in this region in significant ways. You know, there are three levels of giving. There's what we call, the Bible, Old Testament calls tithing, which is first fruits giving, where we come and bring the first fruits, the 10% of the first, first fruits of, of our income. And we bring that to the church and we entrust it to God as an act of worship. And then there's proportional giving where, where, we, where we, begin, we begin seeing our income our income increase and our, our expenses decrease, and there's a gap there. And there's a gap to where, where we're able to be more generous. And so my wife and I, because we've been paying tuition payments for 12 years, there's, now we've got a gap, and, and we're able to make a significant gift to our church that we were, were, were part of. And so we're to be growing, growing in generosity, and then sacrificial giving. Sometimes in our lives, God calls us to sacrifice. There's been three key times in the life of our family that God's called us to lay it all out on the line. To lay it all out on the line. And I want to tell you that those words that Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I know what it means to be blessed. To be blessed by God and to understand you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. And as followers of Christ, we're engaged in, in God's mission. We're going we're gonna to experience times where we can, and we're going to grow in generosity in deeper and more meaningful ways. Number four, your community. Your community. Your relationship with your community. Serving your community. Jesus said, uh, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then Jesus said this. He described himself, I am among you as one who serves. I love that. The Savior of the world describes himself as a servant. I'm among you. I'm simply among you as one who serves. And our, our lives need to be marked is service to our community. And here's the thing. When we serve our community, when we bless our community, that opens doors. That opens doors for us to be engaged in God's mission. We have a church in Detroit that, that um, uh, there were a number of Arabic-speaking refugees who were coming, coming to Detroit. You know, in Detroit, they have the largest population of Arabic-speaking people in the United States. And out of there, they open up this food bank and they let these refugees come in and get food, you know, on an ongoing basis. And out of that, they found a, a pastor, a Christian pastor, who uh, was a, just a raging evangelist. And, and they found him and they started working with him. And now we've started a church. We have our first Arabic-speaking church in the city of Detroit reaching the thousands that are coming to this world. Mid-America, we, we're reaching actually 11 language groups as we start churches because the world's coming toward, to us and we need to learn how to reach them. And so this church got started because what? A church sought to bless its community. And it opened the doors 
And now there's a hundred Arabic-speaking people meeting, worshiping Jesus, hearing the word of God preached in their tongue, and, uh, and seeing them come to faith in Christ. So you never know what happens. And so we have this spirit of service, serving our community, blessing our community. And lastly, our relationship with the gospel. Our relationship with the gospel. See, those who, those who are living missionally understand that missional living is gospel-centered living. And the fact is they understand that the centrality of the gospel, we're growing in the understanding of the centrality of the gospel. Tim Keller has written this. He said, the gospel is not just the ABCs, but it is the A to Z of Christianity. You see, it is the beginning and the end of Christianity. For it is the power of God that not only provides salvation, but it's the power of God that provides transformation. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 16, uh, 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentiles. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is from faith first to last, just as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I love how Tim Keller talks about the gospel needs to be like a uh, we need to rehearse the gospel in our lives. You know, and that's the beauty of communion. Communion is a way of what? Rehearsing the gospel in our lives. And we rehearse the gospel in our lives just as a classical musician rehearses a beautiful sonnet. Right? And they spend time diligently working on every note. And we as followers of Christ need to understand need to work out the gospel in our lives in meaningful and powerful ways because the gospel just not, is not just for salvation, it's for transformation also. Paul in writing, and if you have a, if you have a Bible, you might want to open it to Titus and we're going to just stop, dip into a couple passages there. But Paul's short little letter to Titus has become very meaningful to me because it really describes Titus is my, you know, I always try to find my job in the Bible. <laughs> People say, where's your job in the Bible? And I, and I found it. It's the book of Titus. And uh, Titus was a companion of Paul. He traveled with Paul all over the place. And uh, Paul, Paul and Titus traveled together in, on the island of Crete. And, uh, and, and as they were traveling uh, Paul was, they were ministering among all these churches. And some would say that there were probably a hundred churches on the island of Crete during this time. And Paul in, in Titus chapter 1 verse 5 says this. He says, Titus, I'm going to leave you on the island of Crete. And here's the reason. That you might straighten out what was left unfinished. And basically what he's talking about there is strengthening the churches. That you might strengthen the churches. That, that word straightening out just means kind of a mending of a bone. And he's just, we're, you, I want you to strengthen the churches. And again, there were a hundred churches. And so how was he going to do that? Well, three, there are three tasks that, got, that, that Paul gave Titus in his book. Chapter 1, verse 5, uh, appoint elders in every town. Make sure every church that's been started has godly elders in place. And that's one of the jobs I do. I mean, we've started churches, you know, 150-some churches here, and, and, uh, and not only do we help start them, but we help strengthen them. And there are some church plants that I've worked with that have had three pastors in their 10, 12-year history, and we've helped them find pastors and secured that legacy and that transition in meaningful ways. Uh, so we need to make sure godly leaders, that's chapter 1. Chapter 2, his second assignment was, you must teach what is in accord to sound doctrine. So number one, uh, make sure there's godly elders in every church. Number two, teach what is in accord to sound doctrine. When he talks about sound doctrine, he's talking about promoting sound doctrine as correct thinking and also correct living. It's not only that we just need to think correctly, but we also need to live it out correctly. And that's why he goes on in this chapter and he basically talks about every age group in the church. He talks about older men. This is the way you're supposed to live. You know, uh, older women, this is how you're to live. Younger women, this is how you're to live. Old, younger men, this is how you're to live. And then, and then he culminates that together. And, and I want to look at this pad too. And uh, he basically has a great gospel-centered passage here. 
And I always saw this gospel-centered passage as really the motivation for living, for living and uh, living out sound doctrine. But I think it's more than that. I think it's the motivation, but I also think it's more than that. Look at what he says, and I just want to read this, starting at verse 11. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You see, one of the things is the gospel is not only the motivation for living upright, godly lives and living out sound doctrine, but I believe it's the means. It's the means. It's the power behind it. And that's why Paul says to, says to, uh, says to Titus, when you go out and teach churches how to live, Remind them of the power of the gospel. Remind them that they're not only just motivated by the gospel and what Christ has done for them, but remind them that the gospel is the means and the power by which they can live and fulfill what you're teaching. And then in chapter 3, he talks about reminding the people to be subjects to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever's good. And basically what he's telling them is, here's how I want you to live in the world. I want you to be a blessing in the world. And then he has another great gospel-centered passage again. Powerful. That, he, that, he, that in the midst of mission, teaching people how to live, he basically, again, explains the gospel. He again brings home the wonderful, powerful truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 3. He says, at one time you too were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness of God, the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously, Jesus Christ, our Savior. So having that, so, have, so that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy say, saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Again, when he says doing what is good, he's talking about being a blessing to the world. Being a blessing to the world, that's how you make the gospel attractive. Is by being a blessing to the world. And so here it is. The gospel is not only the motivation for us to share the message of Christ, to bless the world, but I think the gospel is the means, the power behind it, as our lives are being transformed and being sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit and God's word and the gospel going forward through us to others. Tim Keller offers six marks of a healthy church, which are very close to the six things I've talked about. Six marks of a church that's experiencing gospel renewal, vibrant worship. There's a transcendence there. And I think that's when we're talking about on a personal level, craving intimacy with God, winsome evangelism, deep community, justice and compassion for the poor, learning how to Bless and stand up. Cultural engagement and theological depth, a deep hunger for the truths of God. So we'll end with a couple questions here. And I know you guys have a reflective time as you prepare for communion. But uh, these questions are, you know, are, you know, are you full or are you empty? These questions are just kind of helping you zero in on on where do you need that where do you need to grow in your in your relationship with God and God and His mission. Where do you need to grow? And see, this is a this is actually kind of a, a what we call a coaching tool, a coaching tool that you know what you want to do is you want to identify where you're at right now. And some of you might be over here. You're looking at the cross, and you've got you've got you, you've got 
you're thinking, man, I, I don't understand all this Jesus stuff and gospel talk and you know and 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 then and there's some of you who are over here you're you've just experienced new life and you're growing in fellowship and you want to be on mission and and uh, and i believe that if you're functioning on a high level in these six areas you are on mission with jesus and so may, maybe maybe you know you, you've just identified where you're at here's where i am right now on my spiritual journey and then the second question is where would you want to be all of us want to grow all of us want to be farther down the, the path with Jesus. And so where would you want to be in the next six months to a year? And then the big question is, what's standing between you and that point? What's standing between you and that point? And then the last question is, how can we help you? And there's a church full of people here that want to help you. They want to help you move forward in your relationship with Christ. They want to help you move forward in your relationship to his mission. And uh, maybe this week, find, find, a, find a mentor. Find a, a small group leader. Find a pastor. And sit down and have a serious conversation about your life in relationship to Christ and his mission. I want to end with this. This quote from Oswald Chambers who says this, I have learned that the aim of my life is God's, not mine. God is using me from his great personal standpoint. And all he asks of me is that I trust him. All he asks of me is that I trust him. Maybe God's calling some of you to take a step of faith today. And maybe that's a step of faith towards Jesus. Maybe that's a step of faith of being what more engaged in his great redemptive work. Maybe that's a step of faith to say, I need a spiritual mentor. Maybe that's a step of faith to say, you know what? I need to be spiritually mentoring others. Maybe it's a step of faith that I need to learn to share my faith in a winsome way. He's just asking and calling us. that You know what? God has rescued us. God has redeemed us. God has restored us. What? So that we can be on mission with him. Let's pray and uh, as you prepare for communion. Father, we come before you, and I thank you for this church. Thank you for Pastor Steve and his team and the elders. And Lord, we just, I just rejoice in what you're doing here and this beachhead for God's kingdom that's being established and uh, the disciples that are being made. The believers are being made stronger. And so, Lord, we just rejoice and we thank you. And we pray for those who need to take a step of faith today. And maybe it's even praying that maybe that simple prayer that's on that little journey guide and saying, I'm going to entrust my life to Jesus Christ. Maybe it's a step of faith to say, I need to find someone to help me remove some of the barriers in my life that are hindering me from being on mission with God. So, Father, we come. We commit our time to you. I commit this church to you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. As you can, we've got a time of reflection. You can just reflect through those questions as you prepare for communion.